Alright, this is Ricky. And this is Brendan. And you're listening to A Gentleman's Disagreement. What I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a case of lion's head. Folks of different minds because even though it did not share the pains we share that American ideal. Friends made over arguments in an early morning buzz. Need an early morning buzz. All right, Brendan, we are back for another episode. It is uh, heading into the late evening here, I guess, right after Daylight Savings on March the 13th. Um, what are we talking about this week? Daylight saving, Ricky. Daylight saving. It's singular? Yes, it is. We're, we're saving the daylight. Um, and then- apostrophe yes. I feel like everyone calls it daylight savings. It's like Boston, the Boston Commons or something. Yeah, common misnomer. <laughs> uh, it's one of those things that like every year it comes up. It's like, oh, this person, this congressperson, or this less this congressperson is like, let's just make it permanent daylight saving time. And, and everyone's like, yes, that would be awesome. Please do that. And then nothing ever happens. And well, if we're doing the show next year, knock on wood, we'll probably be having this exact same conversation. But um, it will be nice. It is always nice to you know, get out of work and there to be light. <laughs> it's, uh, it's one of those things up, up north that, that we enjoy. Um, yeah, but we haven't, I was thinking we haven't done like a, I don't know, a traditional, if, 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 if we have such a thing as like traditional episodes, like we haven't done a traditional episode in, in a little while. The last two episodes, we had that great interview with um, Mo McInerney last week. And then a couple of weeks back, we had the, the draft of the most influential 20th century Americans, but it's, it's going to be back. I think, before you tee me up with the, what are we talking about? I think it's probably pretty obvious. So we haven't addressed the situation in, in Ukraine yet. And so that's what this episode is going to be. It's going to be a single issue episode talking about the Ukraine from a bunch of different angles. You know, I think I, you know, you, you had sent me a, a text the, the week before everything really went down and, and we're saying like, yeah, we'll get to the, I told you part uh, on, on the next time we record. And, that was in reference. We, we originally talked about this back in December, and I had predicted, it turns out correctly, that the Ukraine that Russia was going to invade the Ukraine. You were um, more, I guess, like you could kind of put it two ways. You were either more hopeful or more doubtful that like Putin would actually do something like that. Um, but there's no, there's certainly no like victory in, in my being right. I texted you the the night that. Ukraine that Russia actually invaded Ukraine and said like even though that I had predicted this and for months U.S. intelligence was telling us that this was going to happen it still felt and still feels even seeing videos and pictures and newspaper headlines like unreal that this is actually happening yeah um I don't yeah it's hard it's like almost hard to imagine in 2022 war in Europe. Um, I think we'll get to a little bit later, or at least something that I want to get to is like, why is that so unimaginable? But we were so we sort of are more accepting of it in other places. But um, it's certainly something that, yeah, it's, 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 it's horrible. Like the, the physical, the literal aspect of, of what's going on on the ground there. Um, I can't imagine what what people are feeling like. Yeah, it's really like unimaginable. I, I think I was reading some story this morning, and 
they were talking about how like there's fightings there there's uh like skirmishes and fighting going on in like the you know northern suburb of of Kiev and I was just thinking that like for Boston you know me living in Dorchester you and Southie like we live in like technically kind of like the the suburbs of the city you know what I'm saying like in, or like my parents are in Milton or like that the actual suburb of the city like to imagine that there would be like fighting if like someone was trying to like take over Boston and they were kind of like fighting their way through like the Miltons and Dorchesters and Southeast of the world. Like I, I legitimately, it, it's like unimaginable to me. And I think it was, it's, it, it has to be unimaginable for the people that like live in like the main, like Kiev is like a, a major European city to, to think that it could be like besieged and people like the neighborhoods in which you do all of your, like your grocery shopping and take your kids to school and, you know, play in the park and go for a run and walk your dog, like all of those things now are like battlegrounds. It's yeah. I, I literally can't imagine it. Yeah. I mean, uh, I feel like they were sort of saying too, right. Like as you know, it was predicted to start, I think right about two weeks ago today, that they were kind of warning people like, Hey, if you need to get out, like if you can get out, it's probably time to start thinking about doing that. And, you know, they were doing interviews in the streets of Kevin. They were like, yeah, I mean, whatever, it's not really going to happen. Like we're not going to have to leave. And yeah, I mean, I, I think that, uh, and, and certainly we'll get into this more in, in detail, but like that is, part of like just a huge disconnect between people that are in charge and people who are like, you know, trying to live their, (laughs) live their lives. Um, And never more stark than when these kinds of things happen. Yeah. All right. Like before we're just going to, before we get to two off the rails talking about this, just we'll just do a quick reminder, everyone, uh, that this podcast is being brought to you by the hardworking craftsmen over at Cannon Hill Woodworking. Uh, hopefully you all know by this point, but they've been building handcrafted high-end custom tables and desks in Boston since 2018. Uh, that's Cannon with two ends. You can check them out over Instagram, uh, or you can visit them online at www.cannonhillwood.com. Uh, if you do check them out and are interested in buying anything, let them know we sent you. Uh, we would appreciate it, and they would as well, and you would get a terrific product. Uh, but yeah, there's obviously, uh, you know, a ton to talk about here from like a lot of different angles. One of the things I I appreciate a little bit about our conversations here is that we give ourselves a little time to like, think about these things, you know, like we, there are plenty of places out out there, obviously, where you can get like hot takes on what's happening in, in the in you can't the Ukraine. I saw a funny tweet that it's been all over the place now, so I can't even like properly credit it now. But say it was, uh, do you know what I'm talking about? No. Nah, all right. So it was uh, some guy on Twitter. He was like, you know, I'm, um, you know, I have to announce that uh, after two years as an infectious disease expert, uh, I'm now taking my talents over and I've become an expert on uh, the no-fly zone and uh, Eastern Europe, Eastern European affairs. Uh, really excited where this new journey is going to take me. Uh, and, and that's kind of what it is, right? Of all, all everyone that Call was kind of talking about this back when we when we did the Afghanistan episode. He's like, all of a sudden everyone's a Middle East expert. <laughs> you know? and, and there's plenty of places, both on social media and uh, unfortunately in like the mainstream media where you have people just like hot takes who who think they know everything about it. Um so in that sense, like we've kind of been back and forth, being like, when should we talk about this? Obviously, we could have. We it's, it's even though it's felt like it's been 
a long time. I think this is day 19 um, since the invasion. So it's been less than three weeks, but hopefully it's given us a little time to try to sit back and, and sift through all of the information that we're getting on, on so many fronts and, and uh, try to digest it all. Um, and obviously it's still happening. And in that sense, I think it's important to keep talking about. It's one of those things like with the ever-changing news cycle these days where, you know, it's kind of on to the next thing. And so I don't know, not that this is like the, you know, this podcast is like the news, but I do think it's important to keep talking about because it, it, it's still happening and people's lives are, lives are being lost. Their millions of lives are being affected every day. And it's, um, you know, I, I hope it stays in the news as depressing as it is to continuously like read this stuff and hear this stuff and see this stuff. It's, you know, it, we're lucky to be able to do it from such a distance. Um, so whatever, I, I guess my, my big point is like we could take this from a number of different angles. So where do you want to start with it? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think I kind of wanted to break our discussion into uh, a couple different parts. Um, the first, I think it's important to, important to acknowledge kind of what's going on um, in the ground because when you know when we were looking at it initially, it's like, well, you know, what could he do? He's going to amass troops kind of along the border, but really, uh, you know, the Luhansk and Donetsk area where there's like a lot of Russian support, like maybe that's where he would limit any type of troop involvement too. And we'll, you know, kind of potentially have like a new uh, West East kind of Ukrainian divide. Right. Um, I think the situation on the ground is, is much different and much larger scale than that. So I think definitely want to talk a little bit about that. Um, Secondly, I think there's some interesting, uh, kind of political ramifications within the U.S. unfolding, um, particularly because of, you know, Donald Trump and kind of the right wing of American politics being less critical of what's going on um, in Russia. And then lastly, I kind of want to talk about foreign policy in general and a little bit of history around American foreign policy, because um, there's a lot that I'm reading that just reminds me of other conflicts in the past. Whereas I think I see a lot of people talking about this as if it's like totally unprecedented since, you know, since like World War II, we've never seen anything like this. And And I actually think um, and I'm and I'm certainly not alone. I'm not like inventing this belief, but I'm going to fall in the minority and try and like toe the line here because I, I want to be very clear that I believe everything that I'm seeing is horrifying. And like, I think it's entirely like all of it is is just terrible. War in general is terrible, no matter you know what it's being fought for. Um, and, and this is particularly horrific to see. Um, but I also don't want to, pre- I don't, I don't want to take it out of some historical context because as you know, I mean, both of us are big history guys and we tend to draw links between things. And I think there are, um, I think we have to be a little bit careful in how we talk about this and how we think about like, what is next, right? Like what, you know, while this is going on, there's like, all right, there's a huge crisis on the ground that we have to tackle, but like, what is next? You're, you're hearing a lot about like 
sort of the new potentially like the new cold war like how does america rethink its like alliances so i want to like take a step back think about um foreign policy like maybe going back to just after world war ii um and try and put what's happening today in context um so with <laughs> with that uh maybe i'll give it to you to talk a little bit about what's going on on the ground or if not you know i'm happy to i'm happy to just keep rambling sure <laughs> um we we were fearful heading into this episode that that this might be a rambling conversation and it very well might be um but i appreciate you trying to provide some structure to it uh yeah i think you know as we've known for a while as russia continued to amass more and more troops along the border we kind of wondered what what was the end game and that still seems a little unclear. It still seems like kind of to be determined, but, um, you know, R- Russia is attacking on, on many fronts. They're attacking, you know, from the south, from the east, which were, was predicted from the north as well. And, um, you know, laying siege to many of the, of the major cities, both, you know, currently mostly in the east and the south, but increasingly uh, they're, they're moving towards, uh, you know, the capital city of Kiev, and uh, they just yesterday had launched that strike on uh, the military base where the West was funneling a lot of their weapons into the Ukraine, which is just 10 miles from the Polish border um, in the West. So the their activities are um, broadening. And it seems while there are peace talks on, ongoing um, between the Russian and Ukrainian officials, it seems at minimum that Putin was, was going to want some regime change in, in the Ukraine. Um, or I guess maybe at the very bare minimum promises that Ukraine will never join the EU, will never join NATO and, and those sorts of things. Uh, but I think that might be giving him too much credit given the scale of, of the operations that are happening. I think Russia, I saw the other day that Russia's committed something like 95% of the forces that they had amassed on the border into the Ukrainian um, you know, invasion at this point, while Russia certainly has plenty of troops and firepower and reserve back in Russia, like they, they've committed most of what they had amassed on the borders into the Ukraine at this point. And so I think, it, like you said, it's been a far larger scale operation than most people expected. And it, unfortunately for the Ukrainian people, chiefly, it, it appears that it's going to be a, a you know, a protracted uh, struggle. It, it, this is kind of like what was a little surprising to me where Putin, who, you know, for all his, his faults, his, uh, you know, his, like the, his, the evil nature of his, his rule and his character, to me, he always seemed smart and, ex- and experienced. Um, and I don't know, I, I, that's what's kind of most surprising to me is that it just seems like he's made a, a misstep here and gotten gotten himself in too deep and that the only solutions are bad ones at, at this point for, for Russia and or for the world. Um, I don't know if you have any other thoughts about like the, the situation so far. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we promised uh, <laughs> we promised our listeners that you would get to say you told me so. Um, and, you know, I, I, th- I think we covered that aspect, but this is, this is sort of what I said was the number one reason that he wouldn't do this, right? Like a lot, a lot of people were saying that 
all right, you know, Russian forces, they have a much bigger, stronger military than Ukraine. If they want to, they'll just like walk right in there and do whatever they're going to do. And I was sort of on the other side saying that like, you know, never in history has anybody really just like waltzed into a country and been able to, to do that kind of thing, especially a country like Ukraine, that even though it's not a member of NATO, even though it's not um, a, a party to the, or a part of the European Union has a lot of military backing from the West, right? They have the anti-tank missiles, they're getting uh, the RPGs, they're getting like a lot of that kind of support, which that plus, you know, you know, any type of like guerrilla warfare is going to be a, a, a much more protracted situation than, than I, than I like thought anybody, you know, rationally Russia would ever want anything to do with. Um, and unfortunately that is what's unfolding. And as we know, those types of conflicts beyond the civilian casualties, which are huge force, tons of people to force relocations, like that, all, all that stuff, which is happening. I think the UN has, is now like estimating something like 2 million people are being forced to leave their homes in Ukraine, um, which is, you know, undoubtedly horrible. Um, that, that all of that would have been enough of an impediment for us to actually see what we're seeing. Obviously (laughs) in that one crucial aspect, I was wildly wrong. Um, I don't know if there's too much more to say about that. I'm like, I mean, I guess we can be hopeful that at least like, you know, whether, like you said, you know, they, they can't just kind of end in a few promises not to do certain things um, between now and the end of this. Like, it feels like there has to be something bigger that, that kind of ends this conflict. And I guess that is, that is sort of what remains, um, what remains to be seen. But yeah, so I guess, you know, we'll, we'll keep following that development, but I, I, I think I wanted to, and I think this is where, um, the connection to what's going on internally in U S politics is, is going to be interesting. Um, and so maybe before I jump in or, or jump onto my soapbox, I'll ask you, where do you think uh, or how do you think this is going to be this is going to play out? Because it's certainly going to be an issue in the November elections in the midterms. Um, it's definitely an issue right now, although there's like a lot more agreement than you, you know, <laughs> Like everyone agrees on daylight savings, but we'll never get it passed. But here, you know, there seemingly could be some more disagreement, but actually there's not. Um, and yeah, I'm wondering what, 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 what's your, what's your initial take? Cause I got, I got some. Yeah, I would say the, the agreement that you're speaking of, I think has come from Congress and this, I think is, is great and much needed in general, but I think is is very welcome in a time like this. Um, Where I'm seeing the more divisive rhetoric has been on the, what I would say, like the fringes of the parties and also people outside of of Congress, people that are maybe 
um, maybe more safe to throw to kind of like, you know, throw stones um, from the outsides um, that you can criticize people that aren't in power. But I think largely, yeah, Congress has come together and, you know, President Biden asked for originally $6 billion from Congress to send over to Ukraine and got $14 billion, $14 billion back. And I heard at one point uh, McConnell called Schumer directly and asked for another uh, $1.5 billion. And Schumer's like, yep. And so, like, just things that you would, you don't think could happen in, like, any other, uh, in, in any other, I don't know, like, area of, of governance, like we, we've talked about this before, when it comes to military spending and defense, people are able to come together and get things done. Uh, and there's certain—I I don't mean to like, like to kind of like laugh this away. I think there's a lot to really un- unpack of why that's able to happen. But I do think that in this case, it, it is nice that people have come together in support of what the Biden administration is doing, trying to present a more united, like United States, in, in the face of Russian aggression and opposition. Um, now, there, that hasn't been perfect. Like, there's been criticisms of the Biden administration's approach from the right and from the left, and that's okay. Really, I have no problem being like, we should do more here or do less of this, right? Like, that's that's certainly within all of our rights to sit back and kind of armchair quarterback. And uh, if you're in Congress, like, you should be advocating for the position. Like, that's why you're there is to advocate for what you think is, is best. Um, but I, I do think that, like, Congress has given Biden what he's asked for and have been supportive of the administration's moves. And Quite honestly, like despite what I see on social media, I think the Biden administration has done like a pretty darn good job. It's it's not been perfect, and they could have maybe acted a little more, a little a little more quickly in some areas, or they could be doing more right now to bolster like Ukrainian resistance. I understand all that, but this is not an easy solution. And like like anything in the world, but like particularly, there's just so there's <laughs> there's real danger here on like straying too far into this conflict or staying too far outside of the conflict. And so far, in my opinion, I think the Biden administration has done a pretty good job of it, which I think is one of the reasons why the administration has largely gotten support of congressional Republicans and congressional Democrats. Um, Interesting. So, all right. But you kind of sidestep my question in terms of how do you think this will play out in the midterm elections? Because, as we know, Donald Trump has been in the past, if not like a, you know, a a distant admirer of how Putin runs things in Russia, if not just kind of an outright supporter of like Putin thinks this is right for Russia and he's just going out and doing it. I wish in America we could do the same thing. Um, And he's not like alone on the right, you know, from talk show hosts like Tucker Carlson to like other sort of more fringe right, the, you know, Madison Cawthorns of the world are kind of saying similar things like either A, this is none of our business or B, uh, what he's doing, like, I wish we had the balls to do that. Um, How do you think, or, or just even having like, at this point, having more of a, a sympathy towards Putin, how, like, how do you think that's going to play out in, in November? Or will it not be a factor? I, I really think that that's what I was alluding to a little bit with what I'm talking about, like the fringes of the party. And obviously, Trump is not a fringe figure of the Republican Party. He's the central figure of the Republican Party. But I think he's a little bit more alone on this. And 
Tucker, who you mentioned, I've been like super disappointed in. Uh, I also think he's been pretty much alone amongst like the conservative voices in, in downplaying what Russia is doing. Um, I think this is an interesting situation where the majority of the GOP, uh, you know, particularly the, the congressional GOP, is comfortable breaking with Trump on this. Um, and it's like the first time we've really seen that. That doesn't mean they're going to divorce Trump you know, completely, but I do think that they feel a little more comfortable say, like disagreeing with him um, and how, like, of course, his apologists are going to excuse his language, like when he called him, what, like savvy and a genius just like a couple of weeks ago, right? And then some people are like, oh, he, he made a mistake or it was like taken out of context or he's like, he kind of misspoke there. And it's like, no, he didn't. But like the those who want to coddle him will, will still, um, you know, kind of try to soften what he said about um, Vladimir Putin. But I don't know. It, it, it feels like, like the mainstream GOP maybe, and maybe this is a GOP that no longer really exists, but what I would say like mainstream conservatives and Republicans, I think are, are more comfortable being like that, that, that position is, is an outlier position and we're not going to embrace it. Okay. So, and I, I mean, I, I, I don't disagree with anything that you said there. Um, Here's my initial take. One, I think we, we used to be looking for places that Republicans and Democrats can agree on things. And I think one thing is always gives me pause when in foreign policy, we have such unanimity um, that our course of action is the, is the right course of action. Because it, it comes down to... And, and, and I, like, I, I feel like before I say anything, I, again, have to preface that what is happening right now is, is wrong. And yet it is still like there are still sort of like po- politics being played here. Um, and I think there were politics being played leading up to what we saw. So we talked a little bit around like what was he after at the outset? Like why was he putting why was Vladimir Putin putting troops along that Ukrainian border. And in between sort of the start of that, like, hey, we're we're doing this because we think Ukraine wants to join NATO or we think Ukraine is wants to, you know, be closer to the European Union. And we think that's happening imminently. And we want something to be done about that. You know, did we sort of hear ever that the US was going to kind of consider that as a position that was is reasonable for Russia to take, right? Like the idea was, you know, Biden was kind of like, well, we're that's that's not us. We can't we can't make that promise for anybody. But the reality is very different, right? The U.S. like funds like ninety percent of NATO, as as we know. I, I learned this from Donald Trump, so my numbers could be off, but they are the the major player in NATO, right? And we also said that, like, if, if Russia had somehow figured out how to have an alliance with Mexico and was deciding we want to put missiles on the U.S.-Mexico border, it's not something that we would take lightly. We're not going to say, like, you know, Mexico, you're a sovereign nation. Go ahead and make a treaty with whatever country you like, right? Like, that's not the possibility for us to understand. And so, again, 
not, I'm not saying that this is a justification for war. What I am saying is I think there was a part of, and it, you know, you have to be careful in how, how you phrase this, but in many ways, I think the Biden administration is benefiting from what's happening in Ukraine right now. It's a distraction from the fact that we have inflation that was far, far predated what's going on there, right? It's getting worse now, but all you hear from the Biden administration now is that inflation is directly tied to the conflict there, right? We knew this was happening before. It is certainly exacerbated by it, but, but that wasn't the sort of the, the catalyst. Then you have this issue in that if Biden does like a pre-war deal with Putin, all of a sudden he's got to take a beating at home He's now like the apologist. He's the never cha Neville Chamberlain, the peace in our time guy. If, of course, he, if he's the escalator, then, you know, there's another issue there. But I don't know. There's like something about the way that this all went down when I, d I don't feel like. I, <laughs> I and this is and this is where it's hard, right, because Putin came out and he said, like, I basically think. Ukraine has always been a part of Russia and it's basically our manifest destiny. And like all of a sudden now we have, we got, we have our evil dictator that we can put on this pedestal and say like, this is, this is evil in the world. And this is what America is here for to like deal with that. But it's hard to say that if the tables were turned, we wouldn't have been thinking about a similar plan of action. And it's, the, the singular fact is that Putin is who he is. Like, I can't, you can't get around that fact. But there are, there, like, it's like mitigating circumstances. I don't know if that is worth addressing here, but, you know, there was, there was sort of like a longstanding understanding that Ukraine was not going to be a part of NATO. That's, that was, you know, Gorbachev and Reagan, like back in the day, they were like, okay, Soviet troops, we're going to pull back in, nine, in the early 90s. We're going to get out of Ukraine. But the rule is they don't like Ukraine doesn't join NATO. Now, all of a sudden, we're in sort of a different political sphere. And like the, the other thing that it just it it worries me that, you know, we kind of made it seem like we were not there already. Like we didn't have a presence. We didn't have involvement and all of a sudden Putin is just like being crazy over there in Russia we know he's an evil dictator and he does his own thing and now all of a sudden he wants to take over Ukraine and it's like I don't know it's un like unfortunately these things don't play out or like I think history like you know you peel them back and they're not the struggles of good and evil that we can kind of try and paint them to be in real time and that like and that worries me that I think that I I wouldn't doubt that there's a voice in the Biden administration that's going, hey, man, this could work out for you because you got a lot of things going against you and you could take a real beating in the midterms. And now we can tie the Republican Party very quickly to Putin when the midterms come around and everybody loves like a boogeyman, like when it comes to politics, like if we can get people scared of things then we can really motivate them. I, oh, I told you I was going to go. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> not even done. It's going to get weirder. 
till before we started, where he said to me, I got some hot takes, and he was, I don't even want to, I don't even want to tell you what they're about because God, I want you to react to them. Um, so last time, <laughs> last time we uh, talked Russia and China, you rather infamously in the history of the podcast were <laughs> out there defending Xi and then Vladimir. Uh, yeah. I don't know how I got to this point. Uh, yeah, this is, it feels like you've been on like truth social. Like you've been, uh, <laughs> been you've been in the, the right wing social media world. Like uh, I've, I've been seeing this a lot of like, you know, do we, this is all a conspiracy. And I'm not saying that you're saying it's conspiracy, but like that, that, that is out there, like in right wing media, like this is a, a conspiracy just drummed up to hide like all of the things that is, are going on at home. It's, it's actually kind of interesting because what the West is saying about like why one of the reasons why Putin is doing this in Ukraine is because like he's dealing with a ton of domestic issues and how do you distract people from domestic issues? Hey, you rally, rally them around the flag and get them to go. You know, now we're now we're at war with the West. Everyone's back on Team Putin, right? Like he, his approval ratings of leaders across the world generally rise in conflict because people rally around the flag and around the the figurehead of that. Um, and Biden approve, approvals ratings have risen too. Like they they were at an all time low three weeks ago and they've risen because people largely have approved of how he's handled Ukraine, including me. Um, but it was funny when we were watching, we didn't talk state of the union, but when we were watching state of the union, you know, we had a USA champ break up <laughs> in the middle of the state of the union. Like I, I texted you guys like nationalism. So back baby nationalism. <laughs> like this is like, this is what it is. Right. And this is definitely a resurgence of nationalism. And this is where you see, I guess, really on the wings of both parties that have been like kind of anti-globalists, right? And this is where, you know, a year and a half ago, we talked that like how, how kind of circular things, the episode we had with Vince, right? And how like the Trump voter and the Bernie Sanders voter are actually like way closer than either one would think they are, that both of them are kind of like, I don't want the United States to be involved in anything. I just want everyone should kind of be focused on what's happening at home. And all of a sudden now you have what? You have you know, Ukraine flag everywhere and you have an American flag everywhere and everyone's literally in, in, in the Senate chamber, everyone's chanting USA because we're now at war with a big bad dictator from, you know, the, the communist Russia, right? And uh, yeah, I mean, look, I don't, I, I, I appreciate you continuing to be skeptical because like, look, what, what, have, what have I been saying for a long time? They're like, we can't necessarily trust everything that we're hearing what, what the main narrative is that the mainstream media is kind of promoting. I've been saying that like, we should be skeptical of that. And you are being rightly skeptical here. I think we've really, we have like a role reversal here. Like I'm out like defending the Biden administration here. Like Biden administration is sneakily like, ha ha ha. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, and this is where I'm going to like diverge is that I don't think it was a conspiracy theory, but I do think the motivations to, to deal with, what Russia was like kind of saying we want you to deal with by putting troops on the border, there was like the, the motivation was not there. And in fact, the political incentive was the opposite. And like, do I think that there was any kind of like collusion there? No, <laughs> collusion. It's a great word. But at the same time, I don't, I don't think like, you know, if, if someone came up to the Biden administration and was like, look, I, I think that, you know, Russia should be allowed to have its sort of say about its own security on its border. Like we also just like Ukraine is not that important to us as a, 
country. I mean, that's horrible to say, but it's the reality, right? Like it's not on our border. It doesn't, the, the main thing that we have, or the main connection that we have to Ukraine is that it is kind of a, a buffer between right now between the European Union, which is essentially like a collection of Western democracies and Russia, which is not, it's, it's not like, not, it's, it's not, it's definitely not that, but it's also not the communist Russia, you know, the Russian SSR, which a lot of people seem to not get, right? Like the USSR, the like United Soviet Socialist Republics, specifically drew out the borders of Russia and Ukraine. And that's one of the things that Vladimir Putin is like, I'm not interested in that. Like, I actually don't think those borders are relevant. And so he's kind of anti-Soviet in this, uh, in, in what he's doing, which is a fact that's kind of lost on people because I still think at the end of the day in politics, it is very important to have your boogeyman. And and this, and this is, you know, you've been asking, like, I've been, dis- you've been disappointed in Tucker Carlson. I am like 99% of the time disappointed in Tucker Carlson. And I also did, uh, I also agree that Vladimir Putin isn't like, I'm not, he's no role model. He's a, he's, you know, objectively a terrible person, but, but Tucker Carlson, I was watching it, uh, his show the other day and he's like, what, like, why in the U S do we have to, do we like hate Vladimir Putin the the man and like or like the the leader of Russia because we can we can certainly talk about the bad things that he's done but he's not alone right we have plenty of people that we're fine with who do terrible things right like I mean we can you know Saudi Arabia one I'll just throw that out there right why is Vladimir Putin particularly like the like the boogeyman that we have and why is that kind of beneficial for us politically to continue to to keep this rivalry with Russia right like we like we describe them China and Russia rivals 1A and 1B certainly the way that they run their countries antithetical to american values but at the same time like you know when when we had an open democracy we elected a guy like Trump who arguably is kind of cut from the same cloth. Now I'm not, I'm not saying that he's done any of anywhere near the same things, but his style of leadership authoritarian, I want to put my, like only my guys, people who are loyal to me above the country or who the people that I want to surround myself with. And then when people tell me I can't do things, I just get rid of them. Right. Like that's his style of leadership. Like that's, that's Vladimir Putin, same style of leadership. Now you can argue about their values or whatever, but we democratically elected somebody like that. So I, I don't know, like I have, I have a, a difficulty understanding that except for the fact that it just plays well politically. Like it's just a good, it, it's an easy way to get people who are not that interested in politics to all of a sudden fire up their Instagrams and start, you know, flinging things out there. And now, now I feel like a conspiracy theorist, and I didn't set out to be, but like here, I, like I don't know, maybe it's the beard. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, again, I appreciate you being a contrarian voice here. 
And I don't disagree that the Biden administration has benefited in a lot of ways from what's happening. But like, what would you have had them do differently? Like, if, if you say that it, it wasn't a conspiracy, I agree. But then that that says that you don't agree necessarily with how they've handled things. I, I guess I'm just not totally sure what they could have done much better. Yeah. And I think at this point, the answer is like, is nothing. When some, when, when we're dropping bombs in another country, you have to take some kind of action. I think I appreciate that the action is, uh, you know, primarily economic sanctions. Um, I, I, I like, I, I understand why we're continuing to deliver arms to the Ukraine and I, and I can't, necessarily say that I think we should stop. But at the same time, I know that without our own troop presence, like Ukraine doesn't really have the military forces to sustain like a real fight against Russia. And so by continuing to pump arms in there, like, you know, are we are we arming a few Davids with slingshots to go up against Goliath when, you know, that story is like a one in a million and that's not you know, that's not how that story was supposed to end. You know what I mean? Like I, I worry, I'm not, and, and, and it sounds like I'm saying that we should just allow Russia to do whatever it's going to do. And I, I guess I'm concerned just about like how our support is going to prolong this conflict. And that just means more Ukrainian and Russians are going to die um, for like, I don't even know right? We still don't really know his end game. The economic sanctions I've always been in favor of, like I was just in terms of using global, global economics to kind of, you know, carrot and stick things. We, you know, talked ad nauseum about how I, I thought the Marshall plan is, you know, one of the greatest things that we've sort of done in the 20th century. What I worry about is that the, the, the plan right now is like, we need to completely isolate Russia, right? And we were going to tank the ruble. We are going to cut them off from banking. Like this to me sounds exactly like 1930s Germany, right? That like essentially after World War I, we cut off their economy. We basically reduced them to nothing. And I'm not saying that like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying that we're going to create a modern day Nazi Germany within Russia, but there are millions of people that live there who are, you know, for whatever propaganda, whatever are like maybe in support of this, but really not understanding the full extent of it because they're not exposed to the full truth of what's going on or whatever. Like we're making a lot of people within Russia also suffer. Um, And I don't know that the end game of like isolating Russia and making it this pariah state in perpetuity is, is really going to do what we want it to do. What we as kind of global citizens or like human beings want it to do, right? We want it to stop the conflict and we want it to be a big enough deterrent that nobody else tries to do something like that. But I worry, like, you know, when we're talking about, we want to end all of like Russian pipelines to the rest of Europe, right? That's like Russia's saving grace is right now their oil and their gas is still finding its way to international markets. And that's giving them money 
you know, ostensibly to continue what's going on here. Um, <clears throat> but I think like that to me is like one of the last connections they have. There's still a nuclear state. Like, do we really want Russia to be like another North Korea that we just cut off from everything? And all of a sudden now we don't know what's going on within that country. And they have a lot more weapons and a lot more capabilities than North Korea does. And North Korea is already like a massive problem, right? Like what is our end game also? If like, you know, if we can't get Putin to back down on this, which I'm not sure that he can at this point, like, right. We, yeah. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> Definitely worried. Yeah. A couple things on that. I think to pick up where you just left off is that's where I was trying to say earlier where he's where I I was surprised because I think he's gotten himself into deep here. And if he comes to terms and doesn't, and just kind of retreats that that's a huge, like he, I don't think he can recover from that loss of, you know, we, we don't know the exact death toll because it's still kind of like fog of war and you have all sorts of figures and everyone has their own agenda for the figures they're reporting, but uh, you know, U.S. intelligence, to the best of their ability, is saying that like several thousand Russian soldiers have died. And that's more than the United States lost in 20 years in Afghanistan. Russia has lost in less than 20 days. You know, if, if they come out and they just kind of retreat, maybe get some like favorable conditions from Ukraine, like that's a catastrophic loss for Putin, you know, domestically that I don't think he would survive. And I don't like that's why I was saying, like, I think he's, he's too smart to have gotten into that with a loss. And so, but as, as this conflict, you know, stagnates and Russia continues to be unsuccessful in, you know, their objectives, whatever they may be, yeah, it becomes a little scary because it's hard to see Putin taking a loss. And so where, where does he go from there? Like we, we, you kind of, you push someone into a corner, particularly someone like that, it does get very, very scary and very dangerous. I mean, I think like to your other point of, you know, the sanctions and how they, you know, cutting Russia off from at least the Western world, it's hard because, you know, we've said this about sanctions in other parts of the world before, where it's like, who, who do they affect? They affect like the, you know, the, the civilians out there, right? And even though there have been like heavy, heavy sanctions put on individual Russian oligarchs, people have billions of dollars all over the world. Like those people, like they're going to be okay. Uh, but where do the sanctions fit? It's people that now can't go to the bank and get their money out and like are, are now suffering from like, there's, there's a lack of like products and, and all, and all sorts of things. Right. And we've seen what that happened, what happens, right. You tend to radicalize people. Like we, we've talked about like terrorists in the Middle East. How, how were they created? It's because there, there was this kind of the, the West places sanctions or the West has troops and, you know, you kind of create this, this anger, this mistrust of, of the West or the United in general, although the United States in particular, and that's exactly what's happening, right? Like as the, you know, Russia's always been a, a, a state with like tons of propaganda, but now as more and more television stations, like stop, um, you know, putting like their broadcasts out in Russia. And as, you know, social media companies start withdrawing themselves from Russia. I think Russia is going to shut down Instagram this week, they said, and they had already taken out like Facebook where it's like, I totally understand like why those things are happening, but what does that do? It just makes that all of the news as it, as it cuts Russia, the Russian people off from the rest of the world, all of the news they're getting is just like state generated propaganda at that point. And Russians 
if they're not already, are going to suffer and they're going to suffer a lot. Like these are like really effective sanctions, which is great. But it's also going to create like a lot of suffering for a lot of people. And that, that's where the balance is, though, because like you said, like, well, what, what's the alternative? Do nothing. Like, so Putin just marches into the Ukraine, like does whatever he wants, kills whomever he wants. And everyone just kind of sits back and says, well, like, eh, it is what it is. Like, we don't want we don't want to cut them off. Like, we don't we we don't want to go to war. Right. We understand that. And we don't really want to cut the Russian people off because like we don't want to make them suffer. So like you can't just shrug your shoulders and do nothing in the face of a dictator who's invading Europe and crossing off borders like we're in the 1930s. So while I understand your concerns, I, I share them. I, it's, I think those, that's the lesser of two evils. All right. So here is, <laughs> here's what I, I might, I might lose some friends if we have anybody listening to this, but um, you know, what was, what was the global response to Iraq? Everyone just kind of, threw their hands up and was like, okay. And I think you can make all the arguments in the world about like how bad Saddam Hussein was. And there's no doubt that he was a a bad person, but you know, we've talked about this before. There are plenty of other bad actors in the world that, that we actually actively support. Um, And so that wasn't the reason, but we went into an, another sovereign nation and we fucked it up uh, like for lack of a better word for a, a long time um and the global response was like eh. uh and and this is all right and this is you know I, w- I wanted to talk a little bit about history because there were just to me and and again there are a, a ton of differences obviously a ton of differences but we had Operation Iraqi Freedom when Putin was first going into Ukraine. He was literally saying, I'm going in there to like liberate the Ukrainians. And obviously you have to laugh when you hear that because it's so absurd. But the language is just wildly similar to how we talked about Iraq, right? I don't, I, as, as bad as Saddam Hussein was, they had like a functioning country to an extent before we got there. And we just totally like fucked it up. Right. And, and this is the, I think this would be the problem for somebody who's looking at what's going on in Russia and saying that, like, obviously we need to, we need to figure out how to deal with dictators and tyrants who want to go into other countries. But I think people will have an issue with, the U.S. kind of leading this charge when for the last 50 years, unfortunately, the history is not on our side in terms of going into places and destroying them. And I don't think people will say that like, well, we did it with good intentions or we did it to bring democracy. And so therefore it's okay. And it's like significantly different than what's going on, right? The U.S., like, you know, people will say, well, Putin wants to go into Ukraine, replace the government with a puppet government. Like, where did he get that playbook from? That is literally what we've done everywhere for the last 50 years, right? I mean, talking about Pinochet in uh, in Chile after Allende was democratically elected, but happened to be a socialist, that's not going to work, right? Like, we've, I think my biggest issue with American foreign policy has been that 
we have these incredible, like incredible, like I picked Madison as my number one president because the things in the constitution are like these incredible ideals that I think every country should want. But the problem is in our history, we just haven't, like when they're inconvenient for us to uphold them because they're leading to uh, situations that are less favorable to us and maybe more favorable to somebody else, we have sort of been like, well, all right, we'll put those aside for now. And I'm talking about, you know, in recent history, torture in, in Guantanamo Bay, obviously, but in Afghanistan and in Iraq, um, but like all the way back to like the Contras in Nicaragua and, you know, even before that. And it's been, I think the reason that I've had the most trouble is that I know what's going on in Ukraine is terrible. And I like, and I, I mean, I cannot imagine um, what people on the ground there are feeling, ordinary people. And as much as I've been heartened by the fact that like people are paying attention, which so many times when this shit happens around the world, like nobody freaking even bats an eye, like it's great that people are paying attention, but I worry that they're focusing on like the wrong things. And I, it just, it feels like in so much of our history, we've just been let down by our leaders and like America post-World War II has, I mean, like, it's hard to find a conflict where they've really been on the, on the, like the right side of history, like Vietnam, obviously Afghanistan, like maybe you could say the Gulf War, but like in a weird way, we had a lot of our own involvement in like putting Saddam Hussein in there in the first place. And, you know, even like Afghanistan trying to get rid of the Soviet influence, like we, you know, we're reaping what we were sowing there for 20 years. And I think, Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is difficult, especially in the, like, we, you know, democracy is one pillar that we have, but capitalism is another pillar. And in many parts of the world, the democracies have, has led towards socialist or communist regimes. And all of a sudden, like, capitalism becomes our biggest pillar. And we're, like, sort of willing to chew aside democracy. And I don't, I don't know that that, you know, when people are, I don't know, when people are like looking at this conflict and trying to think about how do we get to a world where this kind of stuff doesn't happen, I'm not sure that people are coming to the right conclusions. I don't actually have any of the answers, but like in looking at what's going on, like I worry that in a weird way, people are looking to America to be the sort of the moral police, but I don't know that we have the credentials to do that even if we have the ideals on paper. Gosh, what, what a rant. And I feel like this is a therapy session. Like, no, you just had I, a lot you had to get I off your chest. I haven't talked to anybody about this. I've had a lot to say for a while. Wow. All right. Uh, <laughs> Dude, tell me I'm wrong. Can get me, convince me that I'm wrong. Cause I would love to be wrong about this actually. Or like, yeah, totally just misguided. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe they're like subliminally hitting me on YouTube or something. And I don't even, I don't even know it. 
you're not wrong in like your history lesson that you just gave there. Like the United States has been in the wrong a lot in the last 50 years, but I think we both agree that the reason we've been wrong is because we've been getting involved in other conflicts. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> is this your point? <laughs> kind of. I, well, because the ones you point to, whether it's Nicaragua or Iraq or Afghanistan or Vietnam or wherever, right? Like it's this United States kind of getting involved in other countries' business. Uh, this feels different to me because this is Russia getting involved in Ukraine's business. And so like, if you want to draw the, the comparison to the United States and Iraq, like, yeah, I don't disagree with that, but I think that we both agree that Iraq was a mistake, right? Like, I don't think that, oh, yeah. right, but I, right, but I, so in, in that we sense, didn't, like, we didn't suffer the consequences that Russia is about to, we didn't suffer right. the consequences, really. I agree, but that doesn't make it right either, right? Like, the, no, like right, I think in that sense, like, the Western world probably should have been a little more like, guys, like, what, what are you doing here? Uh, but I think that was, that was hard because that was also coming after September 11th, right? And there was so much kind of sympathy for the United States in, in the global world of, and particularly in like the Western developed world being like, well, that could have happened to us. And then like in smaller situations, but it did happen a lot of European places. So I think there was a lot of sympathy for like United States being like, yo, go get those guys who are doing that to our, to our countries. And this is, this is, different well unfortunately most of them were in saudi arabia which was <laughs> right 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 super misguided yeah yeah but i don't know I, I feel like just because we've been wrong in the past doesn't mean that we shouldn't stand up when the situation's right like you know i, I think we would all be aghast if we were kind of like well we did this in iraq and yeah we were okay let him do what he wants to do. Right? No, like that wouldn't be a realistic position, even if it would be, um, you know, uh, intellectually consistent, right? As a, as a country, like it, that just, that's not a position that would be, that would be like stood for today. Like, no, I mean, who and I, Trump will probably come out and pitch that tomorrow. So I, I, but I, I don't know, but I, I feel like if, if we look at all the conflicts in which we've been in the wrong, it's because we've been getting involved in places we shouldn't be. This feel, if you look at, if you want to extend history to where we've been in the right, it's been like we've stepped up when other people have been put under pressure. And like the United States has used its military might in good ways. And you did mention the Gulf War, which is a complicated war, but that's a situation in which Iraq invaded Kuwait. Kuwait couldn't protect itself. And so the United States did step in and, and assist Kuwait, Kuwait. And like, of course, we have the World War One and World War II examples, even the Korean War, perhaps where kind of you can kind of I think argue that one both ways but like the United States has not been the world police but when other democracies have been threatened and have asked for our help we've stepped in to help them against overpowering uh, aggressors and that's what this situation feels more like to me um so I think that that's an interesting point because I think that that is the widely held held belief within the United States. But I think the reality is we are not always in favor of the democracy, like the outcomes of the democracies, right? Like Viktor Yanukovych was the duly elected president of Ukraine before he wasn't, right? And we were kind of like, yeah, good riddance. The guy was pro-Russia, like let's elect somebody else who is not pro-Russia, right? Like and, and that is not, you know, he's not alone or Ukraine is not alone in that situation. So we've 
yes, we've kind of stepped in in certain places, but I think the sort of the moral narrative is that we're the protectors of democracy and making sure that everyone has a voice is not the reality on the ground. Sure, 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 but that's what it should be, right? Like maybe that hasn't been the historical reality of what actually happens. And I don't disagree with you. The United States, you know, unfortunately, like we, we keep even alluded to like the former CIA directors when we're doing like our most influential Americans, like these are the guys that have been masterminding these coups really all over the world in, in the last 60 years because we didn't like the results of a democratic election. But that doesn't mean that that's right. You know, that, that's, that's what we should do, right? And I think if we're trying to project like, what do we want going forward, that we want to respect democracy. And even, you know, as you kind of lamented that here in our democracy, we elected a guy like Trump. Yeah, but he was legitimately elected. You can disagree with a lot of the processes around it or the, the reasons why he was elected, but he was democratically elected in a ways that, you know, Kim Jong-un and Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping aren't. Okay, so, all right. I, th- I think that that is a good point. But now let's, I mean, maybe I'm going, going to go too off the rails with the hypothetical. January 6th happens, right? What if all of a sudden Canada's like, well, you know, maybe Trump was properly elected. Let's start sending like arms into the United States to see what happens, right? Like we'll let them figure it out, but we'll just, you know, keep shipping them like anti-tank missiles and like other things. Like, I don't disagree that at times we're on the, you know, fighting on the right side, like with the people who are good. But I, I just worry one, oftentimes we really don't know who we're fighting alongside or who we're arming. We just know who they're fighting against. And so for the time being, there are our allies and I'm not talking about Ukraine in general, but like historically we've, you know, armed all kinds of folks who are, all right, you guys are fighting the Soviets. That's good enough for us. Like we don't know anything about you, but you know, we'll start sending you weapons, right? Like that, there's definitely that side of things, but yeah. And it's tough. Like, I don't, I don't think what Russia is doing should go unpunished, but I also don't necessarily know how we should do the punishing. And, you know, one of the, one of the things that would be great is if, is if we work more through international bodies, like stuff like the United Nations has really no teeth in large part because big countries like the U.S. or like Russia, whenever there's like a, hey, we should have kind of unanimity or even whatever, we should be able to vote on and decide, you know, we have a few countries that have the veto powers and they just come in and veto everything, right? And so we don't, rather than the U.S. kind of dictating what is what and where things are morally right and wrong, I think it would be greater if we figured out some type of international body that could hold everybody accountable, including us when we fuck up because nobody holds us. Nobody can hold us accountable because of our size and our economy. But that also means that these emerging powers who are very different than ours, Russia, China, it's getting harder and harder to hold them accountable. And right now we kind of have like our nuclear economic option with these sanctions, which is good. But like we've talked about, we don't really know what that means at the end of the day. There is like, okay, we cut Russia off from everything. Like you said, all they have is state media now. What what do you think they're going to hear? Are they going to hear like Vladimir Putin was terrible and this is why you're poor? They're not going to hear that. They're going to hear it's Russia against the world. Remember that. And like, you know, hail mother Russia. That's probably, I don't know if that's racist or not. I shouldn't have said that. But you know what I mean? Like, it's like that 
is that how, like, how are we handling? I don't know. I think that's where I think we have to think about a lot of what we've done is to continue to, you know, when we have acted, we've been able to support a government that was generally always, you know, held us in esteem. Are we able to hold up our own morality and actually support a government, whatever they are, whether they like us or not? And if so, does that mean we need to start figuring out a more global way of handling these kind of crises where it's not just the U.S. kind of deciding on its own, all right, we're going to cut off Russian oil imports when they only make up like four, four to eight percent of our intake. But globally, they're a huge player. And, you know, by us doing the sanctions, everybody else kind of has to scramble to figure it out because the way sanctions work, like if another country that we're sort of pro with, you know, that we have a good relationship with is still dealing with Russia, our sanctions hit Russia, but they also hit them because that's the whole point is we want to cut them off from this kind of revenue. And so like, it's easy for us to say, not easy. I mean, obviously we're paying pain at the pump, but like our problem is nowhere near as dire as like Europe's problem, but you know, everyone's still kind of looking at us to make these decisions. And, and this is like, obviously a good thing. It's hard to say, like, do we want the U S to be like less powerful, but there's, I don't know, maybe there is something to that because individually, like, like I was kind of trying to allude to our governments don't always have the best incentives in terms of like, you know, maybe there was a deal that could have been made with Putin that would have stopped this, but that would never be good politically. Like, that's just an unfortunate reality. Not saying that, you know, what? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know necessarily where I'm going. Around and around. Around and around. As I do. Inside my own head and now out loud. Here we go. (laughs) Well, I will say again, this is where I think the Biden administration has done a pretty good job. I think they have worked largely in tandem, sometimes leading, but sometimes a step behind our like European allies and we didn't come out and we weren't like the first nation to put sanctions on Putin. We, 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 you know, when we talked about cutting Russia off from SWIFT, which is like the international like banking system, the United States, you know, Biden came out and didn't do that right away. And that's like one of the first questions he was asked in his press conference, like, why didn't you do that? And he was pretty much kind of like, well, some of our European allies, I think it was like Italy and Germany, like weren't really comfortable with it. And uh, he got like a lot of flack for it, kind of being like, if the United States really wants to hurt Putin, like they have to take this measure. And he was kind of like, well, we've been in constant communication with our European allies and we want to act as one. And when we go back, didn't think we'd be talking so much about the Gulf War right now, but like, that's what George H.W. Bush did really well, where they, he really did assemble like a global, or at least a largely Western alliance to, to be supportive of that conflict in a way that his son did not in, in Iraq. Um, but I do think the Biden administration done a pretty good job with that. And where it's at, at some points it's been, you know, Johnson in the UK that were leading the way is like the first ones out there with sanctions. Sometimes it has been the EU and sometimes it has been the United States, but largely we have acted together, which is, which is great. And, and I think that's great for like a kind of a global response to, to what's happening in Russia. I mean, I, I agree. I've been, I've long been a proponent of the United Nations and I'm sure people are like globalists. Um, but I think the United Nations has like great potential, but it's, it's, you know, when you see something like this, when you, when the United Nations tries to take a vote in Russia on the, you know, the permanent security council member just vetoes it. And it's just kind of like, well, 
what's the point? Like, in, in, as you rightly said, the United States has done that before when, whether we're talking about the United States' own actions or sometimes like Israel's actions, the United States will just like veto anything that we don't like. And it's like, well, that, <laughs> you can't do anything if the people that are often in the wrong are the United States, China, and Russia, and they always have veto power on anything that happens. <laughs> it's like, well, then what, what's, what's going to do? Like, we're not, we're not worried about Canada, like stepping out of line here, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's not, uh, it's not Ireland that are, that are like really kind of creating these global problems, but like these other, if it's the major superpowers that are just acting like they can do what they want because largely they can. Yeah. I don't disagree that I would like the United States, the United Nations to be strengthened. Um, but I, the thing is that like all of the superpowers have to humble themselves and say that like, we want to be held to that same standard that we hold all of these other nations to. Yeah. And that is, it seems very far off, but it, 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 it feels like, you know, despite whatever we, I think you're right. Like whatever we have to do to get this stopped, you know, what's happening on the ground today, we have to do, like, it just has to happen, but it would be great if the only, or if there was more to kind of the way the European union was created, right? Like, we're, I mean, and I'm not suggesting we just create like one global country and we'll just call it the world and, and have, yeah, no, that's, I don't think that that's the answer, but that for me was one of the greatest things that came out of World War II. It's like, how do we figure out how to intertwine these economies so much yeah. that like France and Germany are never going to go to war against each other again, right? Like that is... And yeah, it, like on the one hand, I'm like a total skeptic, but on the other hand, like maybe I'm like far too much of an idealist in that, like, that is where I think our, like right now, it just, it like watching this beyond the heartbreaking nature of like everything that's happening on the ground. It's just like, we have so many other issues as a world where you it was still in the middle of a pandemic, climate change is like a real problem that we have to solve across the planet and we're wasting time and money. Not wait. I mean, not we, but like it, it's like, you know, the biggest thing that's going to come out of this is U S is probably going to add another $200 billion to its defense budget. China will do the same. Russia will do the same. And you know, where are we going to be in 20 years? It's yeah. It's yeah. It, it feels like a huge step back. Um, historically, because, and this is what you said, like, to your credit, like, your consistency, where you, one of the reasons you didn't think that Putin was going to invade is because, and when we talked about China, too, you were kind of, like, why the United States and China, you know, hopefully won't ever get into, like, a, or not won't ever, but not in the near term, won't have a major conflict, is because the economies are so intertwined, and Russia was, is in some ways still, like, super intertwined with the European Union economically, Um, which is why, as you correctly point out, for all that, you know, Americans might be suffering at like uh you know at, with paying for gas prices and heating your homes and um, the increase in the price of like food like those are real problems but not only do they pay on comparison to what ukrainian people are going through but even european people are, are suffering far more than than we are economically um but it, yeah in at my middle school debate team like the the topic we have is fracking right now and like the affirmative wants to phase out fracking in the United States within the next five years. And the negative says that we shouldn't, but it was funny. They had the debate this weekend and like a lot of people were bringing up the Ukraine situation and the negative was pretty much like, this is why we need to, we can't ban fracking 
because we need to be more energy independent because look what happens when we don't. Right. And it's like, it was actually really cool to hear like 13 and 14 years old, like making like real current events arguments, but like, these are actually like legitimate arguments to have. Right. And this is where my position, I guess this, this was more of a nationalist position from me in the China Russia episode where I was kind of like, we need to extricate ourselves as much as possible from the Chinese market in case anything happens. And that's really what's happening here. Right. Like, even though, as you correctly mentioned, we buy just a small percentage of our oil from Russia and gas prices were going up before this whole conflict anyway, this has caused a huge shift in gas prices. And now what, what's the rhetoric from, I would say, the mainstream Americans, not only just right, like conservative Americans, like mainstream Americans, kind of like, we need to be more energy independent. We need to be pumping more oil. And like, like you say, climate change, people are like, look at these these freaks out there that are worried about climate change while I'm paying five dollars a gallon. You know what I mean? Like that that it's that that's not a winning argument for people that are like worried about climate change right now. No, it's not. I mean, despite the fact that like the US is and we produce more oil here than than anywhere else. But the yeah, I mean the reality is we you can't turn the clock back on on the global market. And the and the problem with thinking that you can is that like oh we can just produce our way out of any pro any issue and i yeah i mean and 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 like i i hear it i like i'm i'm not saying that it's completely wrong but at the same time like nationalism is you know the root of a lot of our problems when it comes to these global conflicts is that like you have people who are like oh, i'm going to like boycott Russian rest. I've read some article in the times that like the Russian restaurants in, uh, in New York city are like getting hammered. Like there's no business, but like a quarter of them are actually owned by Ukrainians who are like, nobody knows where Ukraine is. So we had to call it Russian food. And now we have to call it like Eastern European food. So that people will come back. (laughs) Just like classic virtue signaling. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I'm not going to drink Russian vodka this weekend. All right. Yeah. Solidarity, you know. Uh. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Well, if anybody's still listening, if they haven't shut off because of my ramblings, I appreciate you. <laughs> I hope you feel better. Got some stuff off your chest today. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. A weight. A weight has been lifted. But anyway, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, when you have such agreement between the conservative and the liberal news outlets, what tends to get lost are some of these other issues like A, why, and B, what next? And like, you know, everyone's thinking about the right now, which arguably that's where the focus should be. But there are, I don't know, there's, yeah, a lot to think about in terms of how it all plays out. Um, 10 years, 20 years down the road. Also like a huge like gap in my own his like history classes and things like we, you know, you never learned about US foreign policy or like CIA involvement in in uh in America at war in America at war or or in your history classes. And so um I don't know. It like yeah, big plug to just like try and do your best to learn about you know every like everything as much as you can. Yeah, I might. Uh, <laughs> that's that's a great line. I might I might use that class tomorrow. <laughs> hey kids, have a little motivation Monday. 
Learn well, about everything as best you can. I should that. <laughs> uh, I, well, I appreciate you for hanging out while I went on my I had that is a soapbox on my high horse. I was all over top of the tie skyscraper today. Well, there's this when we get together, there's never a shortage of things to uh to discuss. So that was that was good. All right, man. Until next time. Next time, buddy. We stay up all night on Garner Avenue Debating all the issues of the day No agenda, not yet Talking heads Running around till we forget where it was we began Some mornings you were away Some morning left your ego bruised But what I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a case of lion's hands and folks of different minds because even though it did not share the pains we share that American idea friends made over arguments in an early morning buzz need an early morning buzz learn the hard way but to those who would die upon that hill Quiet truth is better Than rain Somewhere along the line We seem to have forgotten The value sometimes Being wrong Some mornings you away Some morning let your ego bruise But what I wouldn't give For the hope I used to find in a case of lion's head and folks of different minds because though we didn't share opinions we share that American ideal friends made over arguments and an early morning buzz I need an early morning buzz there's hope behind the bluster cause though Main Street may not sell Full of folks just like you and me When we have trouble seeing The human for the politics It's time to find a better way to disagree Some days you win Some days you leave your ego through But what I wouldn't give for The hope I used to find And change the lion's head Folks of different mind because though we did not share opinions, we share that American ideal. Friends made over arguments and an early morning buzz. Oh, what I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a case of lion's head. Folks of different mind because though we did not share opinions, we share that American ideal. Friends made over arguments in an early morning buzz. I need an early morning buzz.